Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest is Mary Beth Bonfilio. From the Salish Sea to St. Louis No. 1, Mary Beth Bonfilio brings truth, mystic wisdom, and alchemy to her adventures. Whether it is teaching and reading the tarot, or sharing honest accounts of authentic and sometimes difficult parenting, her writing draws you in and pulls you to a place of honoring the sacred in every moment. She is a teacher, writer, midwife, and creative mentor, and an inspiration to all who meet her to live wild, authentic lives. Mary Beth, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm super excited. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today, not just about writing and creativity, but also about some of the other work that you're starting to do, particularly around discovering and honoring our worth and finding our authentic voices and sharing them with the world. Mm -hmm. But to start off, I want to ask you, what is writing to you? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, immediately, that question makes me want to almost cry. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because I'm just extremely emotional this morning, but what is writing to me? Um, it is proof that I'm alive. It is that, you know, we're so, we're here for such a short period of time. It is like, we're these little particles, right? That just float from here to there. And um, the creation of a story or a narrative, or even just the vibration of a word is the proof that like, I am here. So writing to me is just sort of that reclamation and calling out to whatever is out there and the world to say, hi, I'm here. And um, being okay with however that shows up. Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. You know, there's so many, so many times I've been asked the question, why do I write? You know, and I can kind of like take that more, you know, um, analytically or in my headspace and talk to you about how, you know, why I write, but what is it to me? That's, that's deep. That's deep girl. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's important for us as writers to, take a moment you know we spend all this time writing and creating and putting our work out there but we don't always take the time to to put into words what it actually is for us and and how how it becomes us and how we become writers who are so intensely and profoundly moved by the words and the act of writing um, it's, it's good stuff. It will, and you can get tripped up in it too, because, you know, is it's first an art, right? I mean, it's our art. It's like, it is what it is. And we, we kind of have to do it. And I think for the most part, for, for some of us, some people, it's very much a craft or it's very much a business. Mm-hmm. And then I think that, especially with the artists who are trying to create business around writing, it's very different right now in this age, right? Like writers used to be able to kind of hide out in their writing womb and write their manuscript and send it off 
and it would be sent off to their agent <laughs> and their agent would do the rest of the work. And then the writers can like kind of um, go back inside themselves to create. Well, it's different now. Mm-hmm. And we're all having to take responsibility for creating, you know, ourselves to be are read and seen and heard. And I think it's kind of abnormal, actually, the process. You know, we have to share so much of our process in order to like actually sell the outcome. Yes. I'm saying, and it can get a little tripped up there because then we end up, you know, maybe sometimes forgetting Mm -hmm. what is writing to us because all of a sudden it becomes something a little different. And I think it's a really important just to be aware of it, not to judge yourself around it, but just to be kind. I I have to be aware of it a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think too, it's a risk when we, particularly our writers who write from a place of deep connection mm-hmm. and uh, when we write we step into that flow of consciousness and of wisdom that is so much greater than us that comes through us and from us but is so much bigger than ourselves and to remember that it's okay to step back into that and even with all of the self-promotion and the publicity that we have to do as writers to say I'm here and I have this thing to share Mm -hmm. to give ourselves permission to take a break from all of that and say, now it's time for me to step back in the flow. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for me to write. Because if we get all caught up in that publicity and that energy of selling and marketing ourselves, which is really important and useful energy to a point. But if we get so wrapped up in that, then we lose the ability to to step back in and connect to, well, what is it we're trying to market and sell? If we never make anything, if we never sit down and write, then we're just out there marketing air. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have, you know, and I've, I've, I've tripped on that before, you know, where I've had to stop and I'm like, wait, hold on. You have to write. Mm-hmm. You have to actually sit down and write. And there's only so many hours in the day. And as you know, mm-hmm. I'm the mother of three daughters and my life is really packed and busy. And so there's like, that's always got to be the priority. It always has to be the priority to create. And then fuck it if it actually never gets read and fuck it if I never actually do make a penny ever, you know, and put food on the table from it because mm-hmm. I have to do it. And then I trust that there's time to do the other things, you know, like just that trust piece comes in and, but it's really important. And that's like the hermit card, right? Like the hermit has been like coming up for me for years, like go in, go in deeper, go the light will shine out. The light will still be there. You're, you will be seen but you have to keep going in deeper for that to actually happen. Because when we start living on the outside, I don't think that, I think that we lose that glow anyway. So what's the point, right? Like you yeah. said, it's just air. <laughs> yeah. Just marketing air. Marketing air. I love that, Sarah. That's a great one. <laughs> I love that you mentioned the hermit. Um, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about how your work with the tarot cards influences and enhances your writing? Um, well, so my work around the cards, one, I, when I, when I read for people, I always write, um, 99% of the times is I, I write the story for them. So I don't typically, um, read kind of like just in the fortune way or the, you know, predicting the future way, I I tell a story for them. And it's so for me, it's such a gift to me because it's like this 
practice in being able to um, open up to the archetypes and the messages of these cards and just how they kind of hit me and how I get a hit from sort of, you know, the universe that whatever this person needs. So it influences my writing in the sense I get to really practice telling the stories of the cards for other people with my clients. And then also, um, this is a kind of a funny story. Um, I, I was asked to do an advice column for a woman. Um, her name is Jen Pasteloff. She's an amazing writer and yogi that travels around the world. And she's got this killer website called the, the Manifestation. And part of it is um, Dear Life column that she has. And um, there was, she sent me a question from a reader and it was a really beautiful and heart, heartfelt question about not knowing when to leave or when to stay in this relationship. And she had a story around it, but that's not really what was, what's important is so when I'm writing this quote unquote advice, you know, and I don't really ever give advice because it's dumb, but I'm, I'm writing this out all of a sudden, like a card's energy would kind of come to me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, the wheel of fortune. Like what is the story around the wheel of fortune for her? And being able to kind of use the stories that are, are ancient being held because really we're just rewriting all these stories, you know, we're, we're, mm. we're continuously, it's like DJing and deconstructionist, right? We're just kind of reusing the beats and putting them in our own way. And um, nothing's truly ever really original, but so that came through and then another card came through. I'm, I'm blanking on what it was. And I, so the whole piece that I wrote back to her was based on these two cards and the story that was kind of coming through. And then when Jen posted it, it's just funny. It's, like talk about worth, you know, I was like, I'm done doing this stuff. Um, one of the, one of the readers or somebody came back and it was like, that's the worst advice I've ever heard anybody give you can't give people <laughs> advice on the, with the tarot cards. And I was like, ah. and then I was like, oh, fuck it. Yes, you can. They've mm -hmm. been used for telling stories and giving advice forever. So it helps in that sense too. When I'm, when I'm needing to sit down with a task, like I'll pull a card and, and I'll be like, okay, so you know, it's about, you know, death right now. And like, what do I need to let go of in order to kind of get through this piece? You know, what story do I keep telling myself that I need to like keep writing that I don't need to keep writing anymore? Mm. And you know, just certain things like that. And I guess knowing the cards makes it helpful to be able to kind of like draw on them. And so that's fine. They're very helpful tools in all creativity. You know, they really are. They're just such a gift, such a gift. Absolutely. And I think also um, that they are they are those stories, and sometimes we need to look outside of ourselves to understand the stories that are going on inside of us. And Absolutely. I think that your use of the tarot is a great way of doing that and having, I guess, a quote unquote safe space to ask a question and really get an honest answer about the stories that are coming to us and through us. Absolutely. And it is, it's true, right? What is, is that what the quote is as within, as without, as without, as within, mm -hmm. I, you know, one, and it's, it's really true. Sometimes it feels really vulnerable. The cards are in some ways like this little talisman or protector where I can say this because it's kind of coming from the card, but knowing really that it's, totally happening inside me but there's this sort of buffer or something there that gives per it's a permission slip and oh so, yeah do you know what I mean mm -hmm. not like a buffer but a permission slip that it's like it's not just all about me actually this is universal 
it's happening out here. And yes, it's absolutely mirroring what's inside of me as well. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I think it's, um, it is um, interesting. I will share with you that I don't normally, I don't always do this, but sometimes when I have a particular guest coming, I will pull a card to put myself in the frame of mind of getting ready to sit down and have this meaningful conversation with someone. And the card that I pulled this morning for our interview is from the Wild Unknown Tarot, and it is the Mother of Cups, Mm. which I think is a really, it just really speaks to that, um, that right time, right conversation Mm -hmm. for me, Mm -hmm. that this is, that this is well on its way to becoming and that there's great importance in having these conversations with you and with all of these other amazing creatives. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely a full cup and it's like ready to pour forth and it's, yeah, (laughs) it's good stuff. Oh, I love that card. I just pulled that card the other day too, just for my little daily thing. So that's a good card to keep close right now. Mm -hmm. Speaking to, to all of us at this moment. You mentioned uh, working with worth and and examining your own stories about worth. And right now you are teaching a class through Amulet Magazine called Gold, which is a conversation on worth. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you came to that and what some of the stories in the work that you're doing around worth is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it was like, this is what... um, the book that's coming out that I'm sure we'll talk about is kind of based around in some ways, but last year I did a course about self-love and it was just really about learning to love the self. And when I started really examining the self-love piece, it was like, you can do all these acts and you can do all this stuff about trying to love yourself. But like, there is a found, there's a, there's another piece. There's a foundational something or other that has to be addressed first. And I think it's, it's worth it's the worth piece is if it's not intact, then we don't tend to practice self-love and we also don't tend to practice self-care and we don't end to, we don't tend to use our voice in, in an authentic and truthful and, and real way that carries us in life. And, but when we have our worth piece intact, all those things kind of happen organically. Like we don't even have to really work too hard at them because it's there. And I think we all have like this worth issue. And when I was talking to Danielle, my partner and with Amulet, and I was like, I think we need to do something. Like we were just talking about different things we wanted to offer and what we thought was important. And it was like, how about we do something around worth because it's so broad and it's so huge and it can mean so many different things to different people. But it's really about the essence that we all come here with. And like in that early age where we start accepting other stories about ourselves from people and those moments when we get kind of pulled, like, so for worth, worth for me is like God. It's like, um, it's like my imprint. It's, it's who I am. And when those moments in like childhood, you start kind of like getting pulled away from that like divinity and you start kind of seeing yourself as this, flawed human, which in some ways it's good. But when, 
it's kind of coming from like outside stories and outside sources, you start to believe those. And then we just keep believing them. And, you know, then we have relationships and then those will fuck us up and all these things will fuck us up. And, um, and it's not like an abnormal thing for any of us have to, that to have to, um, really spend time. It's not even about cultivating worth because we already have worth. We're already, Mm -hmm. we're already born with it. Right. So it's like, learning how to like really own it. It's like really fucking owning it. And so the work around it is, is truly that, and it's going to be very different for people. So what we did was just kind of open the space to explore what worth is to you. The stories that you kind of tell yourself about your worth in the world, the comparison, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, that comparison shit that we do with like, but that person is, and that person is. And it's like, we all have the exact same worth. Mm. you know, we, in this culture equate value and worth there, there, there are systems of measurement and that's not really what the word worth means. If you look back at the origins of worth in like old Germanic or whatever it's from, it actually means to become the root of worth means to become has nothing to do with a system of measurement of how many dollars are in your bank account or how many, you know, books you've sold or, you know, where, you know, all the things that we kind of, or like the relationships you have or whatever. So the work really around it is that is learning to really become who you are, you know, and, and being able to retell that story. And it also involves a lot of, you know, self-care practices or, you know, practices where we actually give ourselves the space and time to do things because fuck it, we are worth it. We are worth that time. We are worth the half an hour that we might need to just sit and meditate or whatever it is that you love to do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I love that. And I I think it's so important to remember that worth and value are not the same. And that um, as writers, for us, there's often that comparison game of, well, so-and-so got a book deal or so-and-so got published in The New Yorker and I've submitted seven times or so-and-so is book to movie and I just want to write this screenplay. And, And using that and using that comparison to take away from the writing that we're doing, even and almost exclusively subconsciously, but downplaying the work that we're doing and sometimes not even showing up to do our best work on the page. Yes. And we have to remember that we have that worth and that there is that inherent inherent worth. I'm reminded of the first principle of Unitarian Universalism all of a sudden, which is that one states, I believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every living being. Mm. Oh, I love that. And and to 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 take that tenet into oneself and say, that includes me. <laughs> I have if I say every living being, I mean every, and that means me too. And to have that compassion. Um, one of the themes that I see running through your work, especially when you write about worth. But in all things is that showing up with compassion and empathy, but also not allowing yourself to make excuses and not judging yourself for the things that you're feeling and doing. 
You mentioned this book that you're working on. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, it's it's based on um, the material that I wrote for this. This it was just like an email campaign. It wasn't even like a course. You know, I just decided that I was going to do this like journey for self-love for myself. Cause I was at a really bad point, you know, and it was a really, it was just a low point when I was doing all those things. Like at the, at the point, at the time I didn't realize it was really a questioning my worth. You know, it was, I was not, I was in that quote unquote place of writer's block. I was just not writing anything that I liked. I was probably comparing it to the amazing works of everybody else that are flying through you and all the, the noise that goes on in the internet. You know what I mean? And being able to like get so much information, you're like, oh my God, I suck. And these people are so awesome. And, and then on top of that, just mothering so much and never mothering myself. And I was just physically really ill. Um, I had all these adrenal problems and just a bunch of stuff was going on. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this for myself and I'm going to put it out there. I'm sure there's other people that are experiencing this. So I'm just going to do an email campaign for, I think it was like a month, one month long, the month of February or something like that, where every day I just wrote my self-love journey and some practices and that kind of thing. And so um, it, it was really had a great response. And I had a lot of people like say to me, I really would like to go deeper in this. And I, I would love for you to write more about this. And so I had had it in the back of my head that I was going to put it into and make it into a book one day. And then this winter was sort of like the target to make that into a book. So I expanded on each one of those pieces um, that I had sent out as an email to people and kind of created each one into, you know, a chapter per se. And it was interesting going through and reading it and thinking how simple all this stuff really is and how, how silly it is that we don't actually deliver the love to ourselves and that we're here. And so many people I know in my life who don't deliver the love to themselves are the greatest and biggest and most magnificent lovers I've ever met. And we somehow put this, this obstacle up that we just feel like we don't, we're not worthy of the love that we actually have to give, which is such a mindfuck, right? So that's really what the book is. And it's kind of a workbook too, because I always put like some sort of question or something at the end of a lot of the things that I write. And so at the end of each sort of section, there's space for you to explore and um, places for you to write and little um, practices that you can kind of take note on for yourself in it. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I don't even know how I'm going to publish it or anything, how that's going to be, if it's going to be self-published or go to a woman who would offer to publish it or anything like that. But um, it's called um, Seduce Yourself. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes you kind of have to like really, really flirt with yourself to get the idea that you are, um, you're, you're, you're hot and you're amazing and that you actually need to like, you know, answer back when you flirt with yourself. Like, oh you know? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) What's the best advice you've ever received? Well, the best writing advice I've ever received was by a teacher I had when I was in my really early twenties and first living in Hollywood. And, um, I was just coming out of academics as, you know, studying writing. And so I was writing all this like fancy pants stuff. And he looked at me and we were in a workshop. I was in a workshop with him and we were doing a lot of talking too. And he looked at me, he's like, write like you talk. He's like, if you write, if you actually end up writing like you talk, this shit's going to be so good. And I was like, oh, okay. 
Um, and then I think probably the second piece of advice probably came from my mama and it was just be kind, mm. so simple. <laughs> just be kind. Mm-hmm. I know it's not very pr- profound, but I just try to live with that, you know? Well, and I think it is profound because it's not that being kind is so much a struggle for us, but again, it comes back to that idea of, um, being kind is as much outward as it is internal. Yeah. And the way that we show our kindness outside of us to the world and to the people that we interact with daily and in a one-off situation is also a reflection of what we're doing inside ourselves and how we're treating our, ourselves and can be a good reminder of wow, I just had a lot of empathy and compassion for my kid who was really upset about something. How do I handle myself when I'm really upset about something? What do I do? Do I give myself that same time and space? So your mama's got some good advice there because that's that's important to remember. It's really true. It is so important to remember. And it's such it's a daily practice. It's a daily practice. You know, we're going to fuck up. And that, and that's the thing we're going to fuck up and we're human, but to always kind of have that, like, just, you know, should get it tattooed on my wrist or something. Right. Mm-hmm. To remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if you could share with us some of your own writing. Okay. So this piece was something I wrote in, um, it actually is, um, published on elephant journal like a year or so ago. It's time to listen to these hips. They want it all. They want to take up space in every room, in every home. They want you to know they are self-possessed, that they do exactly what they want to do when they want to do it, that they are ready when the sky is slate and the light slips and the moon becomes a map to our longing. They scream to live a life of call and response, direct dialing, pulling, knowing, pushing, lowering. They want to be the one and only true love to timber, to base. They want to rest deep in the flesh of the downbeat, and they want to love and love hard. They want to pound it down like the heart does. They want their own sound, their own rhyme and meter. They want a language to speak with no bind to any lexicon. At night, they will sound like a cat call under the star fire as we claw at the earth, digging for a place to call home. They want to talk of the times they were not allowed to talk or not allowed to move in the ways they saw trees bend in the wind or the way they wanted to feel wide open and wrapped around pure pleasure or about the day they got lost in the city and gathered whistles inside their bones. I'm a primal person these days. I want the most basic level level of enjoyable and pleasing and earthly. I want simple food, decent rest, good sex, a warm bed and a garden to grow what I need. I want to feel something that has been misplaced, something undigital, the opposite of frantic or static or deadlined and absent all processing, something with a a rhythm that feels as slow as dripping honey. And within all this, I seek a hidden key, preferably golden, and if not golden, then brass, and if not brass, then carved from the finest wood. And then I imagine shoving it in each of my sides, ripping through layers of unwanted bullshit and turning it hard and deep inside against the bone or using my hands to reach inside and unzip what is stuck and letting what is tangled and bound hang from the inside out, exposed. 
what's caged and living within the coccyx and sacrum and pelvic floor and those little lower vertebrae gets to go on and big up themselves and get loud and be wild and wind free. My hips didn't always feel caged. Before being in the womb, my hips bumped into nebulas and slowly surrounded the galaxies in sensual gyration. They would burst open in light shows with Mars and show off for Venus. When I was in my mother, apparently I danced a dance that felt impolite and unladylike, a rotating and winding that jolted her ribs and made her peer pants daily and wonder what kind of animal lived within her. The truth is I came out of her moving. She was strapped down so tight and told to lie still, but I moved my way out, my hips, each one on top of the other, and then rotating back side by side again. They were pliable and willing and able to speak my first, first truth of life. I am here. I have scaled across floors in survival, silently, not to be heard, my hips moving back and forth without squeaking the wide wooden planks. I have squeezed in between rock walls to know what the earth wanted and anchored my body against the shallow sea floor so I wouldn't be stolen by the whip of her waves. I have stood up. I have sat down. I have swam and fucked and ran and rolled and birthed babies, one after the other, all from my hips. I have danced without moving anything on my body besides my hips because I think for me, everything is supposed to come from right there. What makes these hips lock? I cannot figure it out and it's most likely shame and then there's fear and neglect and emptiness and of course, sitting in this fucking chair as much as I do trying to juice words from them because it is in my hips that most of my stories live and have lived since Eden. And because we are told we must squeeze ourselves tight into them, that they cannot be wide or thick or swinging or take up too much space. Because we are told they need to be narrow and quiet to fit in a world where I have realized I have absolutely no interest in being a part of. Because my hips are meant to unhinge, unlock, get bigger, expand, fit into nothing. My hips want to be seen because it's true they have held and birthed the world. But here's the real truth. The sky will move from north, south, east, west, and back again. And there I will be standing in the center at the right place at the right time and saying, oh yeah, there it is. And a big, fat, wide, and unruly hip will make the sounds of thunder across the desert. And all of a sudden, the stars pour through me, settle in my hips, shoot across my pelvic bone, melt me into the soft, muscular tissue, and I will feel them all find space in their new home. And they will feel really fucking good. And my hips will be oiled with cosmic goo and the doors will all be flung open and I will walk through them, all of them, or maybe just the one. But it feels so good to walk the way I've always meant to walk. And it feels so good to dance the way I have danced in the womb. But with more space and floor and light and spiced rum and music that is tasteable and sound that is fuckable. And I will ride lovers, whatever ones I want and only the ones I want, only the ones that can handle the tabernacle of these hips the way we were meant to ride them, full of lusty love and raw respect because it feels good and it feels right and because it is true. My truth right now is a leap and a jump and my heart fire says to me, move like the way creation moved to bring us all home. Unzip your hips and make them big. Wind them and grind them like you are and set them free. Mm. You know, that actually came from a prompt from Alicia Summer um, who asked me, what is your truth right now? And that's what I wrote. Mm. I love that. That is, yeah, that that's like such a a strong piece and a reminder 
of so many things. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for listening. I'm curious what you're devouring these days. Mm. Well, food, a lot of food, <laughs> but really good food. I mean, I'm devouring like as many vegetables and fruits. I'm really into fruits right now mangoes and papayas and avocado and um, oily stuff, coconut oils. And I don't know, I'm just like really devouring like the tropics. I'm devouring um, a new sort of sense of place where the ocean kind of laps and there's like this expansive sky and there's a lot of lounging on the beach and getting sticky with fruit and enjoying the rhythm of life and um, being able to read books and get drunk and sleep in and in just that's what I, you know, it's like, I always look at what I'm eating to see like where I am emotionally and like what I'm craving in the mm -hmm. larger picture of the world. And so it's like the tropical fruits and I'm just, I'm so devouring like the idea that um, there's going to be some time and place where there's this like, I'm going to get out of the grind. <laughs> mm -hmm. The I'm devouring the possibility of the, of the Caribbean, Sarah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm gonna keep that real right there. Yes. Yeah, I like I like that idea. It's gray and freezing rain here right now. So I will I will devour the idea of the tropics with you. And even just the energy of it, you know, like the energy of that life, of the life of just, you know, no worry. When I, I spent a month in Jamaica once when I was like 19 years old and I there's this man that I, I ended up talking with a lot and he was just a wisdom keeper and he shared it with me a lot of things. And one of the things, this could be one of the best advice too. part of that was he said, you know, walk lightly. This is what we do in Jamaica. We walk lightly. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah. Devouring walking lightly a little bit. And yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded when I think of your work, uh, of your writing and of your work with the tarot and storytelling and also with the creative mentoring that you do around self and worth and voice and uh, yoga and writing. I came across this quote from Ingeborg Bachmann and she writes, I'm writing with my burnt hand about the nature of fire. <laughs> and I think this quote is so profound because to me it reflects the sense that I find in your work of writing from authentic experience and writing how you live and who you are and the ways that your life comes into the world. And I'm wondering about how that is for you to write from all the places that are part of your life, the, the sometimes sticky bits of... Uh, parenting daughters and the wildness and the creative authentic magic that you breathe into everything that you do how do you move through that and how do you create the space in your work to continue writing about all of that experience um it's interesting that you say that because I've never been able to um, I, I probably would be more quote unquote successful if I was able to sort of um, 
pinpoint what I wrote about and then just write that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've never been able to though, because my life is so whole. It's everything informs the next thing. And everything that I am is what I write, you know? So, um, I, it's not easy. It's very vulnerable. I feel very scared a lot of the time when I write and put things out there. And I think, you know, it's something I'm working on that I can't necessarily, I've got to let go of the fear and just, just fucking, you know, press publish and let it go. Cause some stuff feels really personal and, um, and then also really useful, you know, cause it's like, knowing that we all have these whole lives and we all are trying to like, you know, be informed by everything. And, um, it's, it's, it's not easy. And then at the same time, it's, I don't know how to do it any other way. And anytime I've ever tried, it's really shit. So I, I just try to put that, you know, I put it, I put that away and I've written like one, my one quote unquote, great piece of fiction. Right. And I've written it and it's, you know, out there and, you know, doing whatever it's supposed to be doing and kind of released it. But even that (laughs) was so riddled with all of me and all of my parts, Mm. you know? So it's like, I can't seem to step away from, from that. And you know, I think it is important though in self-criticism. And I mean, like, this is truly self-love criticism. I think it is important. I want to refine a little bit more. So I'm really astute. This morning I pulled daughter of swords. So, you know, I want, I want to, I'm ready to begin. I'm ready to keep learning. I'm ready to learn how to refine my writing so that it gets better and that it, it touches people, um, deeper and connects and it connects me with, with people um, even more profoundly. So Mm -hmm. however that works, I'm not, I'm not in the like, you know, willed or stubborn with like, well, this is how I write and this is how it is. Like, I'm like, okay. And, and then what else? I'm super open to, um, evolving. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's funny how we reach those plateaus of, well, this is where I am and I'm ready to move forward. I think for me, sometimes when I'm climbing to that plateau and I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm writing, I get really stuck into the, nope, this is what I'm writing. This is how I'm doing it. This is where I'm going. And then I reach that plateau and I go, oh, okay. I was really pulling a lot of dead weight by climbing up the mountain this way, Mm -hmm. but I'm here now Mm -hmm. and now I'm ready to keep going and I can take all those lessons and I can climb the next level and maybe it won't be so challenging and maybe I'll find some new work that I can discover in that. Yeah, it's because it's all process. And that's really how why it's so beautiful. It's like we've been so blessed. It's We're so blessed with this medium and all mediums. But like for me, it's it's mostly words. And we're so blessed with that. Such a It's such a process of self-discovery. You know, if I could use this help, healthy term um, of figuring out where we're at and what we're doing. And like, even when we even are dragging that whole load and we're just like, no, and we're being stubborn. It's like, eventually we, we can see, you know, we get up there, we're like, oh, and then move on. So it's beautiful. And it's a mystery too. You know, I try to really, really maintain in the mystery. And I, I try when I'm writing to like not have too much of a plan, at least for the first round, you know what I mean? And just like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever is meant to be is going to be. And I try to do that in life too. Really, really part of my like 
spiritual religious experience is just the mystery, you know, mm-hmm. of being okay with not knowing and being okay with not being able to refine or decide or determine or, you know, def- yeah, just dictate to myself. So. Mm-hmm. That is important, particularly, I think, in the beginning of writing anything mm-hmm. to remember that showing up to what will be and what will appear, even when we're working on a project, like when we're writing a book or creating a collection of essays, it's so important to say, okay, I have a even if I have a framework, I'm going to show up and see what comes out on the page. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have any creative habits or rituals, particularly around writing, but about all of your creativity. I, I kind of do. Um, I'm kind of ritualistic in my life. It's weird. I'm not sure if I'm turning like OCD or if I'm truly a ritualist. So there are certain things I'm my, my personal practice, which I do every day, which I know helps kind of like open my body up to be able to sit down and write at some point in that day is, um, I do my little practice of, you know, burning something, chanting. I, I chant in Sanskrit mostly. Um, I pull a card and, um, I do, you know, even if I do like 10 minutes of physical yoga practice a day, that is sort of like my daily ritual. And, um, and in writing, it usually, it usually comes, even though I'm much better at like nine or 10 AM, if I could have the ideal rhythm, it it would be then, but because I have children, I end up having a nighttime sort of thing. So house is quiet. Everybody goes to bed. I light my candle, I make my tea. And then I sit there and I sit there until something comes and even if this, I only have enough energy or open eye to write it for, you know, 20 minutes, I do that. And it's, and then otherwise I steal moments here and out th- throughout the day. I mean, a lot of my true writing is just like, oh, there's a half an hour. Okay. I can sit down and do this for a half an hour. So, cause I don't really, I don't really get at this point in my life, long, long stretches of time. Um, but the little bits that I do, I really, you know, I really kind of try to make ceremonial because I feel like it's, it's a gift. (laughs) So, um, every night is really my writing practice. Hence is why I never spell anything right. (laughs) Because I'm like exhausted. It's like midnight and I'm like, oh, I got to do this. But it's, you know, it's interesting, the writer's life and the mother's life. It's a very interesting thing. And I refuse to believe that I can't do it because I always, every time I do, my husband reminds me of this too, is I'm a huge fan of Raymond Carver. And I remember when I was reading a biography or something of his, his first wife, not Tess, but his first wife was like crazy, 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 raging alcoholic. And he was um, trying to write like his first book of short stories or something. And like, she was just like, always like throwing glad shit and plates and like never wanted him to write. And he would like go in the car and roll up the windows and she'd be like throwing like empty whiskey bottles. And he, I think he might've finished what we talk about when we talk about love, like in that process. And I was like, if he can do it with that, I can do it with three wild little kids (laughs) running around. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important to remember, like, most, like you said, most, 
you know, most writers cannot live the Hemingway life. It's just not, it's not feasible to sit and write for hours at a time. But to be able to carve out that space and to make it sacred when we do show up to the page, whether it's a notebook or on our phone or at a computer, but to, to really commit ourselves to that time and that space. And, you know, another thing I, I do, one of the, not rituals, but just, it is kind of a ritual. Like every day I really love, I don't love Facebook. Facebook sort of skeeves me out, but I do love Instagram. Like I really do. There's something about it is nice that I don't know what the difference is to me about Instagram, but I love the idea of being able to just like snap a moment and then be able to actually use it as a medium of writing. Cause for me, it really is a medium to write. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I I try every day to just kind of like sit down. And if that's even all I get to do, you know what I mean? Is to write like five sentences on Instagram. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is what it is. 2015, five sentences on Instagram and we've, and I've succeeded in my writing. (laughs) (laughs) I, I dig it. (laughs) I totally understand. There's something nice about it. Yeah. I'd love to give you an opportunity to share some wisdom directly with listeners. Uh, It's always such a wonderful thing to sit down and talk with you. And I feel lucky and blessed that I get to connect with you regularly. And I'd love to give listeners a chance to share in some of your Mary Beth wisdom. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I'm working right now a lot with my own voice. There was a period of time that I really felt like my voice was dying. And, um, but really what it was, was that like my story was dying and that there was even a time where like I was going through the funeral process (laughs) of my story. And this whole time I thought it was my voice that I lost my voice, but I'd really just kind of lost the story and the language because I um, came to this realization that our voice is just, is our essence. It's like, it's like the vibration that made us and that brought us here. And I don't have a specific dogmatic spiritual belief, but like in the Bible, it's like in the beginning, there was the word and the word was ohm. And like, I think that that's our voice and um, we can call it essence or imprint or whatever. And when I realized that I wasn't losing my voice, that I was just losing my story and like the language around it. And that this voice was just like vibrating and waiting for me to just kind of like put whatever I wanted into it and use, you know, the voice is like the chariot for whatever you want to say. Um, so I guess my like piece of wisdom is just like, feel your voice and like get in your voice and realize that your voice literally comes from, we have the vagus nerve that wanders. It's like wanders up and down from our pelvic floor up into like our, like, um, the medulla oblongata in the back of our neck. And it's like, grabbing like all this amazing stuff from our body and just wanting us to kind of like claim who we are and the voice and the expression of the voice and the reclamation into like fuck the dominant story and like share your narrative use your voice to share whatever story you're in right now is so important and it is so crucial for the rebirthing of the world that I think is happening and um I think we're kind of in between worlds right now. And it's like, 
our voice is the beginning of the word, which is like this essence. Like, so we have the ability by using our voice to carry our stories, to change the world. And so I invite everybody, whatever way they feel that to like go out today and use your voice. Mm. That's my words of wisdom. <laughs> I love it. That was, that was off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, off the cuff. <laughs> I <didn't even> know. <laughs> you know what I mean, Sarah. <laughs> I do. I do. And it has been so wonderful to sit and talk with you. I could sit and chat with you for hours. Truly. I adore you and I love the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful to be invited to talk with you and to share this space with you. And I'm, I'm so excited for what you're doing. I'm so excited. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm. Thank you. It's, it's such a gift to be able to share and to invite you into this space and to share all of the wisdom that I get from you with everyone listening is, to me, that is what fills and nourishes me to share that community. So Mary, Mary Beth, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. You have been listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. For more information about this and all of our episodes, please visit in-her-room.com. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Thank you for listening.